Since the police murder of George Floyd has horrified people the world over have taken to the streets in protest, as hashtag Black Lives Matter now does, there's been a lot said about the need for racial reckoning in America. But what does that look like in practice? What happens when police do the unthinkable, when city officials do the habitual, when county leaders turn a blind eye and deaf ear, when just one more person, too often a black person, is violated not just by, quote, one bad apple, but by a whole rotten system. Today on The Janice Adams Show, what change begins to look like when one cog in that political wheel stops its predictable role, when one elected official says, enough. Justice for Jamelia and Jalissa on The Janice Adams Show. Trying to make it real compared to what... Hi, I'm Janice Adams. Welcome to the show. As people worldwide have taken to the streets to protest the police murder of George Floyd and the racist response of local officials day in on denial, Dutchess County, New York, held a listening town hall. A reality check as voiced by people of color, the Zoom virtual event was hosted by County Executive Mark Molinaro, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, the local Commission on Human Rights, and the local NAACP. Here's Mark Molinaro. I want you to know that what you share this evening is not the end, but merely the beginning of what will be many more conversations. We're very fortunate that every town, village, and city, 20 towns, eight villages, and two cities are represented on this, uh, at this town hall meeting. First time ever. Supervisors and mayors from every community are here to listen. Your comments and your experience uh, and your concerns are not going to be overlooked. And uh, I want to introduce a good friend of mine, co-host this evening, uh, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney. You know, I think this is a time when white people with power should listen more and speak a little less. So I'm going to speak less and listen tonight. I do want to tell you that I come to this conversation, obviously, as your representative in the Congress, I'm proud that we've passed sweeping police reform legislation called the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It contains critical changes, um, like a national ban on chokeholds, ban on racial profiling. And those are important changes. I do think in this difficult conversation, the, the, the most lasting changes are the ones of the heart. And so I come to this conversation not just as a politician or a congressman or a policymaker, um, but also as someone who put his two daughters in a car yesterday to go visit family. They're 17 and 19. My daughters are African-American uh, and native. Uh, they present um, you know, the way any African-American would in a car. They aren't the daughters of a congressman when they drive out my driveway. Um, they're people of color in a vehicle. And I worry about that. Um, I don't think I understand as a white person what, uh, what African-Americans experience in this country. I don't think any white person can fully understand um, what African-Americans go through in the United States. But I worry about it as a dad. And I think that when we can find through love and concern paths through this thicket of difference and fear and can find ways to cross those lines of difference, um, that's where change occurs. 
Ninety minutes later, their listening town hall got an earful when, in the night's most poignant and powerful moment, a mother, Melissa Johnson, challenged them on the criminal justice system-led travesty that wrongfully and maliciously ensnared her daughters for nearly two years. We'll hear from Ms. Johnson and her attorney, William Wagstaff III, later in the program. First, a state-of-the-town conversation with County Executive Molinaro, Republican. After the murder of George Floyd uh, and what, I mean, frankly, uh, broke open the hearts of so many and uh, ignited a spark, uh, and rightfully so, across the country, it, it, it seemed as if that was the moment, this is the moment, that, that we again reevaluate, are we achieving uh, America's first promise uh, that that uh, all are created equal that all are afforded certain rights and are we are we really conducting the kind of soul searching necessary to to be better and it, it it is important every so often to stop those of us who lead or serve uh, stop talking uh, listen to those in particular who are hurting and try to use that to inform uh, the way in which we serve, the decisions that we make, and confront long-standing uh, inequities, uh, intolerance, uh, racism, uh, and uh, and problems that need solutions. Based on the town hall, what was the most striking thing that you heard? I recognize that there is no way for me to understand what it is like to be first a person of color or certainly a a woman of color in in America. There's no way for me to to know that to know that. I can only observe and listen and learn from from those who walk that walk and try to confront it, right, and address it uh in my own life. Uh, like Sean, Congressman Maloney, although he has children uh, who are of mm-hmm. color, I do have family members uh, who uh, are of, of color. I've got young ne- nieces and nephews who are taught how to interact with law enforcement in, in Richmond, Virginia, entirely differently than anything that, that I've ever had to express or explain to my, my, own, my own children. It is worth us to listen, to try to walk in, in, in another's shoes and inform us uh, in our decision-making. What I heard was justifiable anger, justifiable anguish, justifiable frustration and anxiety. And but I also heard a desire not only to be heard, but to have their, have voices acted upon, ideas um, uh, uh, moved upon, and, and problems confronted. And with that, a, a sense of hope. I, I, you know, I, I accept that a lot of the conversation was filled with emotion, and rightfully so. But, but you know, in that emotion, there was, I think, a feeling or a sense of hope that, one, the voices were being heard, and two, that we would do something or do some things as a community uh, to confront One of the concerns that I have is that when we speak in terms of black people and other people of color, we do speak about the need for these voices to be heard, and, and, and that is justifiable. However, when we speak of white people, we speak of representation. Hmm and the responsibility of our elected officials to represent us. Why the disparity right there? I mean, if I said that or feel, if you felt no, that I'm, I feel I'm that, No, I'm not yeah. just putting it yeah. on, on you, but it is, it is an issue. Yeah. Because 
in one case, it is a responsibility and it is written into the job. Yeah. In the other case, it's almost a favor. It does so, sound that way, doesn't it? And yes, I, and it I, does. Yeah. And I guess that um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have an easy answer, but I will, I will say this. And and and, and again, it's sort of. There are far too many people, in particular white people, who who do treat a minority as a minority, and that's not acceptable. Everyone in this country has has and should have one equal access to equal representation, or 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 the right to that represent, representation. And 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 hearing or listening to someone isn't 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 a favor. It is it is our responsibility. So um, you've you've informed me. So the question becomes, what next? I'll tell you one of my, one of the moments that I found most disturbing mm. in the in the town hall was when the man representing the police spoke. To be fair, he was picking up on a, another uh, on an African American man saying that he knows some police are afraid. He said, "You know, I'm glad you referenced that." And then he went on to talk about the need for training. And my question at this point is, where is the responsibility in the hiring of police officers? Is racism becoming a factor in? who gets hired and who doesn't so that there are upfront questions that are asked about a person's suitability for the hmm. office strictly on the basis of racism and their ideas. And secondly, how do you train people to be decent? Supposedly, so, uh, we are hiring adults, and we've got police departments across this country that have failed on the sheer level of decency because law enforcement is to be held to the highest of standards i agree with you there are institutions and agencies all across this country who have forgotten the base necessity of decency and that's something that i hope as a society we might return to or at least re reinvigorate that said you bring up an excellent point it was brought up uh during the town hall i do think what people don't don't necessarily understand in the state of New York. Hiring is entirely subjected uh, in the state, in government, to the New York State civil service system. And, and it sucks. You can quote me. The New one of the biggest challenges in the diversification uh, of workforces is the New York State civil service system because it is, it is incumbent upon an individual to be prepared, trained, and ready to take a, a government standardized test uh, that frankly is not often rel related to the job and then you must be in the top three before anyone can pick you to be hired so the system itself is awful and it makes it very difficult in particular for law enforcement to diversify because it is based on your ability knowledge of and willingness to take a test and be in the top three the test again not necessarily related to your capacity to serve, your 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 experience uh, in in the workforce, or our need to diversify. That has to be confronted. Uh, what I would offer to you is to, to the second half of that question, which I think is is critically important. You can't necessarily um, um, well, you can't necessarily train decency, but you can impose the need to be decent in the way in which we enforce, impose, uh, uh, exercise our our responsibilities. And so, yes, I would offer in Dutchess County, we've done something that no county in America has done yet, 
we have provided crisis intervention, de-escalation, mental health first aid, uh, and, and cultural competency training to every police officer on the street. That is merely us providing that training. It is a very extensive program, and we expect that everyone, every officer on the street takes it and uses it. And I'll, for, I'll offer you that most of those who earnestly take the class feel, the class is, it's several weeks of classes, uh, feel that it is very, you know, it's very helpful to them. But to the, the, the broader point, you have to start from pay, <laughs> place of decency. So um, we think uh, the, the, the government workforce and also then pr- uh, moving forward, combat the, the testing regimen because it just is not useful. Uh, and we need to do that in every neighborhood and every community uh, throughout uh, America. But it's, uh, the question of decency, though, listen, I, we, we, we can't necessarily, there's no way to know, right, when you're hiring someone, um, everything about them. But I do think the, 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 in the next steps for us... But don't they go to a police academy? Don't they um, have to go through training at, at a certain point in which there are opportunities to weed them out? And has this issue ever been considered an issue worth weeding someone out on. I'm sure there are ways in the police academy to say one did not succeed in the training. 100%. Oh, yes. Okay. No, so they're the weeded question- out in that sense, but but you're, but again, keep in mind and and, and please understand in, in this in this state and in this country mm-hmm. uh, and 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 understandably so, there is a greater focus on um, the use of a firearm than there is uh, cultural competency implicit bias. Now, one would argue that one of the reasons that is is to hopefully inject in the psyche of a law enforcement official the the understanding of that escalation of force. But understand that 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 is not a Dutchess County policy. That is embedded in the accreditation programming and the state law. That's the focus. And so um, there is not equal consideration for you know the other kinds of training that mm-hmm. could but be embedded. I'm proposing that it should be. Oh, and I'm and, saying to you that, that, that it should be too, and we will. Those who, who <laughs> are raising this issue are saying straight up, you are hiring people who are racist to the core and who cannot be trained out of that. If and there is someone racist to, to the core, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be hired and they shouldn't and be put in that position. And they are being hired, obviously, across the country. If training were so effective, we would not have... Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Eleanor Bumpers, and I can go on and on and on. If training were that effective, we would not have in this country, on average, one unarmed black person per week being shot dead by police. And that is what we have. So even though Dutchess County is apart from that, even though it is its own entity is what I'm saying, oh, it is a police deal with other police. You have governor's associations, you have mayor's associations, you have national police associations where they deal with each other. And But can I say to your point, we mm-hmm. want to embed. Uh, so, so you're saying, you know, well, the training after the fact isn't, isn't useful. But to your point that you started that, that one sentence with was, you know, shouldn't it be embedded in the, uh, in, in, the, um, uh, in the academies and, in, and, and shouldn't it be clear in that, in, in that setting before you're even, you know, in essence hired? The answer is yes. I mean, the answer to that is uh, the, 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 the implicit bias, uh, the, the de-escalation, the use of force, uh, the crisis intervention. 
education, the trauma-informed care training, all ought to be embedded well before the individual is in a position to be hired. And what I would argue is, if it, you know, this is one of the failures of, of, of our education system. We, we first don't identify paths to careers early enough, and then once we do, we don't customize education to accommodate, in particular, but in communities. All, excuse me, I, I am going to interrupt me. you to just say this. We also are not, our educational system, and I will tell you, I'm one of the four children who desegregated New York's elementary schools in the wake of Brown versus Board of Ed. Mm. So I take this very personally because as an eight-year-old, my childhood was given to it. Um, So we were considered the test children. And to see the schools still segregated, to see this business of, police knowing how to stand down when we're the ones under attack, you know, as opposed to when they suspect we might be thinking about someday attacking somebody, all of that is is very disconcerting. So I also ask the question in terms of education, what is Dutchess County doing to educate every student from an anti-racism curriculum? Here's so uh, county government has zero role in education in New York State zero. I don't I don't have any jurisdiction. I have no uh, mm-hmm. oversight. I have no involvement. But you it have power. No, I I you know, listen. This is the this is I'll 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 agree that I have in a, in one vein uh, the ability to communicate, but mm-hmm. but. But but no, you you are you have you are not. a heightened voice is what I'm saying. Yes, and, say and okay. So to that extent, what we what we do in this in this community and, and are pushing uh, countywide, um, and, and we do this uh, uh, pretty effectively uh, through the Human Rights Commission, regular interaction with school districts to embed. What, and again, this is not core curriculum because we don't direct it, but to embed mm-hmm. that that sort of cultural understanding, education, etc., to combat racism, anti-Semitism, and we have regular uh, interaction with, with school districts, providing them some guidance, providing them uh, materials, providing them uh, the, you know, the ability to lean on us. We also, by the way, require that, that school districts um, teach uh, social-emotional training, uh, trauma-informed care, uh, and, uh, and crisis intervention so that mm-hmm. we can identify uh, moments uh, where perhaps an individual might be dealing with a particular uh, a trauma. Uh, there might be bullying that, that that occurs. We we do that countywide. We're the only county in America that does it, and we're we're glad we do. But to your broader okay. point, public education in New York State is decentralized, uh, right down to individual school districts, and the curriculum is governed by the state of New York. Yes, and so, I was originally from Yonkers. I know that okay. in, in Yonkers, it's a city school district. The mayor has direct influence mm-hmm. uh, in the city school district. None of us here in this county have any of that influence, supervisors, mayors. Uh, it's just not the way New York structures its education system. You said you felt hopeful, and, and I know we have to. But I want to know what you felt was going to be possible. From that meeting or, or just what I felt yeah, I mean, because here we are. We're talking about racism. This is America. Racism is baked into America. That's the problem. It's never not been part of the founding principles of of America, racism. So, you know, it's going to take a very active 
leadership and citizenry to, if you can't undo it, then at least stop it. And police brutality has to not change. It has to be stopped. So on that level, what do you think is going to be doable in terms of stopping police brutality? We are earnestly focusing on the need to confront that within law enforcement and, by the way, the order by the governor to confront that within yeah. law enforcement. So step one for us, um, um, get, get every police agency to, to agree that we are going to craft together a, a universal expectation, policy, training, etc. We have 18 separate police agencies in this county. Again, mm-hmm. all independent of county government except one, but, but we, are, we are going to coordinate that effort. We have 20 towns, 8 villages, and 2 cities. Only half of them have police agencies. Today, we're meeting with every supervisor and mayor with a police agency. We need them to buy in because they will be required to adopt a real policy with real enforcement to, to meet that expectation, which is to confront uh, the, the expectation that, that the governor has set, the accreditation requirements, uh, and the training requirements. We also, uh, and, and our approach is not merely to check the box. So it is, it is um, for us, uh, going to be overseen by our criminal justice council, which includes formerly incarcerated, includes social work. It, it, is, it dates back to the 90s. It's nationally recognized as a body of people who looks like much more, looks like our community, both in, 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 in color and experience, to really sort of steer this process to embed uh, new policy, new training, new expectation, but then also concurrent uh, with that effort, a much broader stakeholder engagement. So the conversation you had with me needs mm-hmm. to happen with every town, every village, every 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 police agency, and it needs to be ongoing so that we can balance uh, and check ourselves moving forward and address the cultural concern uh, that, that needs to be addressed, this issue of decency and stopping racism. So we're going to embed that in an ongoing effort, an iterative effort to improve the, the delivery of of, of, of service, improve the way in which we, we manage law enforcement and the way in which law enforcement uh, engages in the community, but also more broadly uh, to to make sure that we don't need a crisis uh, to convene people, but rather we are we are convening regularly. And this is, by the way, how representation, representative government works. And perhaps this gets back to your first question. We need to make sure that everyone, um, as best as possible, everyone with a stake in the game is around the table having this serious conversation about are we are we rooting it out are we stopping it are we confronting it and it can't just be that we've established a new policy it has to be an ongoing iterative effort that we we promise we're going to engage in that's step one are you getting pushback from the police departments themselves no and that's the best part of it no not at all no and 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 so uh, i will tell you that the fact that we've confronted the trauma-informed care and the crisis intervention in a uniformed way i think has built credibility uh, among um you know the leadership in this community to say we're going to take the next step they also recognize at least the police agencies that are represented and these are all you know these are these are the leadership they represent that we are in a moment of time where they must confront this and so therefore we haven't gotten any pushback back. I will tell you, uh, our concern, of course, uh, is with the supervisors, mayors, town governments that manage police agencies. There's always a reason not to spend money on this. 
and uh, this is this that can no longer be acceptable that that in fact this training this expectation needs to be embedded in their practices and they need to assign the resources to do it this can't be uh well we would do it if we only had there we all have priorities <laughs> Uh, this one is is now the priority of the day, and it is a priority that needs to remain at the top as we move forward. So, so that is a concern we have. And I also get concerned about the way in which politics works these days, which is, you know, something happens, it sets off uh, everyone's interest, and then it goes away, uh, and we can't allow it to go away. That means state and federal government have to really partner with us locally in order to accomplish the ongoing exercise of rooting out racism. Which is a wonderful point that you're making. For many people, George Floyd was the dividing line. But why did it take so long? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I will tell you that uh, we, I personally fall victim to the, um, you know, we, we get in the habit of, 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 of sort of routine, and it does take at times, and by the way, not just in the area of racism, a crisis or, or some emergency to refocus us on something else. That, that I, I, I readily admit it, I fall victim to my, my, myself. I can tell you that the convergence, I think, of a lot of uh, anxieties um, and a lot of time uh, made this instance, this murder, uh, this incident, um, I think, uh, transformative. Don't underestimate the, the, the fact that there were a lot of Americans sitting at home living in anxiety because of the pandemic. That in and of itself yes. uh, brought about an awakening among, among many. The, they were there to see it. Yes, and, and it wasn't something on the yesterday's news. It was they were watching it firsthand, and mm-hmm. and that means I mean that's something. The other is I'll say this I and I don't I don't want to diminish the the murder, but I think there were a lot of parents at home with kids, uh, thinking to themselves, you know what I just don't uh, my my kid would not have seen this otherwise. Um, this is a moment of uh, for me of of reevaluating how I parent and what's important, and I do think. Um, being sort of isolated, quarantined at, at home, I think there were a lot of families who really thought to themselves, um, I need to be better, and, and therefore I, I want to confront this as well. That might, might be a bad reason to, con- to, to do it, but it is, a, it is good enough if it means we've moved the ball and we're mm-hmm. confronting it. You mentioned the difference in how you parent relating to the police in different parts of your own family. Yeah up here versus Virginia. When did you first understand that? Well, in fairness, this is my second marriage, although I hate putting it that way because I, you know, it's like for me this is the only one that matters. Uh, <laughs> so my wife and I have been married for uh, uh, seven years now. Uh, so um, I, I personally had, had not had to confront that until seven or eight years ago. I mean, now mind you, I, I understood it, right? I, I read about it. I saw it. I heard other people. But it wasn't personal. Yeah, it wasn't personal. It's not that it wasn't important to me. I do want to say that. It just didn't it didn't strike me in the same way um until having a really honest conversation with my sister-in-law uh, who is a woman of color in in Virginia and she could live in New York and have the same experience and and yes. and, and just this um, is- that's the course. problem. This is yes. nationwide. Yeah. It, well, and to, to those who, who would pr- prefer not to, to have that, you know, to, to believe that, they should confront it themselves. But we had, a, we, had a, we had a really engaged conversation, and it just struck me. My young nephew, who was, who was I, oh, only a few years old, the cutest little boy, right? We had a great, wonderful, uh, we had, got off on a great relationship, and I thought to myself, this young man is, is, being, is being taught to drop to the ground. Uh, is 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 being told things that that I just have never had to say to now my twelve year old son 
um, I, you know, I say be respectful, keep your eye, you know, hands on the wheel, but never with the same urgency or the same fear that was in her voice. And by the way, I, I tell you, um, she herself has police officers in her family, and she understands the the law enforcement component. But to have broken it down in that way was very personal. It was very, it uh, and it was quote, very emotional. And I heard it. Yes, it is quote the talk that every black brown family in this country has had for centuries. I wish we're at a point now, or we get to a point in this country where the only the only the talk is that uncomfortable one about sex. <laughs> oh, you're so innocent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I choose to be. <laughs> but, but go ahead. Next, next, next uncomfortable question. <laughs> When we come back, a mother's impassioned lobbying for her daughters, justice for Jamelia and Jalissa, on The Janice Adams Show, after the break. We're back here on the show. What happens when police do the unthinkable, when city officials do the habitual, when just one more person, too often a black person, is violated by, quote, one bad apple, and a mother is forced to confront the whole rotten system? Justice for Jamelia and Julissa, today on The Janice Adams Show. Hi, my name is Melissa Johnson, and, um, and my daughter, Jamelia Barnett and Jalissa Dawkins' case, I want to say that I have written um, um, statements from other people that was around with the case. So again, good evening. My name is Melissa Johnson. And unfortunately, my daughters were brutalized by the city of Poughkeepsie Police last year and are still fighting for justice. Mr. Manero, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself for hosting this forum, while the county attorney is falsely charging my daughter with crimes when they were victim. You have had the power since last year to drop the charges and still have not do so. I get emotional when I'm talking about this case because you know, um, am I at? Um. So yeah. So you're, you can't claim to be concerned about people of color when you're still prosecuting my daughters. Congressman Maloney, you have black daughters just like I do. And the fact that you, do, you didn't reach out to my family when my black daughters were brutalized by, this, by the police, sh you should be ashamed of yourself. Then make it worse, you endorse Mel Mayor Rollis, when he support the officer's actions and didn't punish them or held them ac accountable for what they have done to my daughters. They left my daughter, Jamalia Barnett, dripping in her period blood after slamming her to cold concrete and falsely arresting her. And you have still said are done nothing and you represent them. I've been in the court system since Julissa Dawkins was 12 and Jamelia Barnett was 15. Jamelia is going to be 17, and still I've not got justice at all for my daughter. All I ask for is justice. My daughter has never been in no type of problem, never had any police back and forth or juvenile case at all. 
and they're still tied up in the system for what? Nothing. Nothing. And I want to move on with my life. And so my children want to move on with their life. Jamelia is so traumatized from this that happened to her and still no justice for Jalissa, no justice for Jamelia. When enough is enough, when our black kids are all died by police hands, when are we going to get justice? When can this be over? When it can be over for my children to move on with their life, the next step. My daughter Jamelia used to go to the Marist College program every summer, have great grades. She lost concentration on that. She gave up. She wanted to be a judge. She gave up on that. Like, I want to see justice for my children. I feel like the system failed me and my children. And I hope to see justice soon, not later, soon, soon. We've been uncomfortable for so long, and we're still uncomfortable as black people in this community. You understand? Not that we're saying that um, we don't care what white folks have to say. We do. You understand? But we want you guys to stand beside us, not in front of us and guiding us. We want to guide. We want to be business owners on Main Street. We want to own houses and keep them. You understand? We don't want to be behind anymore. Enough is enough. Show our color and say that we are part of this community. I went to the police department and I have them tell me that if he shoot me in my head, would I want him to be arrested? That should never be out of no police mouth, a sergeant mouth at that. And I'm a black woman, a black mother, a black wife. My husband is in the military. He's in the Navy, he's in Japan right now, serving for America, serving for us. And we still can't get justice. Hearing Ms. Johnson at the listening town hall, I asked County Executive Molinaro one more question. Why? Was her situation allowed to go on for so long? In this particular situation, there had been ongoing uh, negotiation between the, the lawyers and, and the judge. I don't know why it didn't come to a conclusion sooner. But what I can tell you is, un unfortunately, the county executive does not direct uh, prosecution at any level. No more than um, I define who gets public defense yet those people work in county government. And therefore, as much as I feel for her, and I do, uh, and as much as I heard her, and I did, um, it really is between the county attorney, who is by law representing the people of the state of New York, not me, and, and Mr. Wagstaff to come to a conclusion. I was aware that they had made a, an offer to adjourn uh, the case and dismiss the uh, charges that that Mr. Wagstaff wanted that. I was also aware that the county attorney accepted that. Those of us hearing it who have been through this experience too much and too long, and and I will say I've lived in places like Greenwich, Connecticut, and mm. Wilton, Connecticut. I have never lived in the innermost inner city, and I know how malicious prosecution takes place by police in the most elite of areas if the people being charged are black. So the question becomes, what do we do next about this kind of malicious prosecution? I don't know that I could concur nor dismiss your description of this particular case. I, I have to be very careful. But what I can tell you is um, there are very few instances where the county attorney is forced into this situation. Um, and so I think more broadly to answer your question, 
um, I do feel that we have to confront uh, racism and root it out in, in, the, in the application of all of our responsibilities, law enforcement and otherwise. I just can't speak specifically to this case because I'm prohibited. But I can tell you that, again, uh, uh, their attorney made an offer to adjourn and dismiss, and the county attorney accepted that offer. And why, after nearly two years, did they accept the offer and drop charges? When we come back, a conversation with Johnson family attorney William Wagstaff III, justice for Jamelia and Jalissa, on The Janice Adams Show, after the break. Here on the Janice Adams Show. So how will we get justice for Jamelia and Jalissa? And how are the girls now? Here's their attorney, William Wagstaff III. The girls are good now that they have left the Poughkeepsie area. As a result of everything that was happening with this case, the trauma and the difficulty that they experienced, the harassment at the hands of the city of Poughkeepsie police after these events, they were forced to relocate and their mother, Mrs. Johnson, how is she doing? As you can imagine, disturbed that she has been stripped from her community. She did not feel safe. She certainly did not feel that her daughters were safe. It was clear to her that her family was being targeted. As soon as this happened, and she went to go to the police department to report that her children had been unlawfully arrested, that her children had been brutally abused, Within days, they started having cops that had previously never been present in their neighborhood sitting in the parking lot directly across from their home. And this continued for months on end. The girls reported that leaving school, that they would see cars speed up to them. And these are cop cars. City of Poughkeepsie marked cars speed up to them and kind of roll down the window and slowly drive by them to intimidate them as an indication that we're watching you and we're being mindful of your every step and that you're not safe. And this went on for the duration of the underlying juvenile delinquency case and continued up until the point where they relocated. At the end of Ms. Johnson's statement um, at the town hall, she mentions that her husband is in the military. Is he still? Yes. So as this is happening, their father is defending this country? That's correct. All right. Um, is it the day after the town hall that they decided to settle with you? The day after the town hall, there was a statement that was issued by Member Maloney. Last night, I joined former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson and others in a community conversation on race hosted by Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro. Of particular concern to many participants were the circumstances surrounding the March 2019 arrest of Jamelia Barnett and Jalissa Dawkins. Melissa Johnson, their mother, spoke powerfully about her frustrations with the county and how disappointed she was that I had not 
been involved. After reviewing the situation, it is clear to me, wrote Congressman Maloney, that she is right. This is a case that I have not followed closely enough, nor have I used my position to advocate on behalf of her family. At a minimum, Dutchess County should immediately drop the charges against Jamelia Barnett and Jalissa Dawkins and demand accountability for what this family has experienced. While I have no formal authority in this area, I do have a voice. So I am communicating directly with the county executive and mayor to achieve this goal. I hope acknowledging my shortcomings on this particular case can be part of a larger soul-searching by all of us in positions of authority on ways we have fallen short in advocating for our vulnerable neighbors. I immediately after that statement, within, I would say, 15 minutes at best, get a phone call on my cell phone from the assistant county attorney, Victor Civitillo, who was actually prosecuting the juvenile delinquency matter. The same person who had been arguing with me. And I pulled no punches when we were before Judge Tracy McKenzie, who was the family court judge who was presiding over the juvenile delinquency case, that Your Honor, they are using this court to create a defense for the city of Poughkeepsie. They know that these girls didn't do anything wrong. And I was very frank that this was just political gamesmanship. And now this same person who was adamant, no, we're not doing anything unless they are going to admit they did something wrong, calls me and says, after that statement, okay, we're willing to offer the ACD with no conditions. Has anything happened with the police officers who attacked her? No. Other than saying this has gone on for almost two years and we will agree to dismiss the charges, has anything been done by the county? No. Anything by Poughkeepsie? No. Anything by the mayor? No. So what's left? What's to be done now? Civil rights lawsuit, which has been filed. And that is the only venue where I anticipate if there's going to be any justice for these girls, it will be achieved in that courthouse because it's clear that the county was willing to go ahead and falsely prosecute these girls. It's clear that the city of Poughkeepsie had no interest in holding these officers accountable, whether it's because of the mayor being a former police officer himself, or whether it is just cronyism, whatever the reason is, when you have outcrying the way that you did for these girls, we were able to pack the family courthouse. There were rallies and there was vaster community behind us. You had members of the general community at large, Engine, ACLU, and still they decided that they felt the need to try to prosecute these girls. The allegations, even if true, were not serious enough that when you have all of these people who ultimately represent the people of the state of New York, because they are the prosecutor in a juvenile delinquency case, if the people who you are supposed to represent are saying, we don't feel that these girls did anything wrong and this should be over. That should have been the end of it. In all honesty, I can see it both ways, though, and I have to say that. I've written a book on the civil rights era, and I've written two other books of history, and I know that the will of the people has not always been on the side of justice. In this case, there is reason to believe that the will of the people was on the side of justice. And in this case, 
it should not have to do with whether it's Democrat or Republican, but I'm hearing some of that. Um, and I do know that Sean Patrick Maloney is a Democrat and Mark Molinaro is a Republican and mayor and the mayor is a Republican. But essentially, these should all have been fathers who took better care of two underage girls. Yes. So what is the exact civil rights case that you are presenting? What are you seeking in damages? And what, I'm going to ask the question all in one, what can you reasonably expect if the presidential election goes one way or if the presidential election goes the other way? The section that we filed the lawsuit under is 42 U.S.C. section 1983. That is the federal enabling statute that allows for state tortfeasors to be sued in federal court. The causes of action that we sued for were false arrest in violation of the Fourth Amendment and excessive force in violation of the Fourth Amendment. In addition to that, we sued for punitive damages. The things that were done by the city of Poughkeepsie police officers and their surrogates after this event took place to try to cover up what happened. They were intimidating other witnesses. They were intimidating young people, threatening them with jail time. We have an affidavit from a father of two young girls and one of the young women who testified and gave sworn affidavits that the police not only called them into the office for interrogation, claiming that they were investigating another incident, another fight two days prior, but that upon their arrival threatened that if she did not provide her cell phone, that they were going to send her to Dutchess County Jail. Upon getting the cell phone from her, they wiped the cell phone clean, tell her that she needs to provide her iCloud credentials, go into the cloud, wipe the cloud clean, where on the phone and in the cloud, were more videos than just the viral video that was released to the public. And it shows exactly what happened and the malfeasance of these officers. So I also have a cause of action for punitive damages. What I hope to gain for these girls is that they're going to be compensated. There's nothing that can be done to erase the trauma that they've experienced. I don't know that their lives will ever have the same trajectory that it would have but for this event. But we have a system of justice where when we can't make people whole, where it's not a widget that you can replace or there's not a service that should have been provided where you can now tell someone they need to provide, we compensate people financially. So hopefully that will be money that they can use towards their education, towards a start in life. Based on the results of the election, I don't unfortunately think that it's going to have an impact on this case. I think that before us is going to be one, a judge that is already sitting on the bench that will have the possibility of trying to dismiss the case because they do have that authority, which is why I'm sure you're well aware of the battle over qualified immunity. And then you still are going to have jurors, the jury pool in this area. I don't know that it's going to change drastically. The reason that we venued it in the Southern District of New York is that it's more likely that they'll get a fair shake. I had no confidence in bringing this case in Dutchess County Court. If I would have brought this in Dutchess County Supreme, I don't believe that they would have truly got a jury of their peers. 
So I don't know that the election is really going to impact the results of this case. I think that people may be further entrenched in their positions possibly based on the results of this. But if you told me what percentage would I say that this election has on this case, I would give it 10 to 15% at best that it's going to impact what I think will be the result of this case. At the end of the day, we want justice for Jamelia and justice for Jalissa. We're yes. not asking for them to be treated preferentially. We're just asking for them to be treated fairly. You mentioned qualified immunity. For the audience, let's be clear about what that is and how that has impacted in many ways these decisions all across the country of police violations against people of color. Qualified immunity goes against the spirit of the Civil Rights Act. And this is something that was created from the bench. The Supreme Court created this carve out in the 70s and it has been unfortunately expanding. And what qualified immunity allows is the court to come to a conclusion that yes, this officer's actions were wrong. However, we're going to look and see if maybe the reasonable officer confronted with the same circumstances may have done this. We're going to give them essentially a pass and they try to claim the underlying policy reason for it is that they don't want officers to be reluctant to do their job. They don't want officers to be fearful of actually effectuating lawful arrest and doing the right thing based on split second decisions made without having the benefit that we now have sitting in the courtroom or sitting in our offices, reviewing evidence, reviewing video to make different decisions than they probably made at the split second. They wanted to give them the latitude to still quote unquote do their job. But what it is effectively done is just carved out an almost impenetrable defense unless it's just so egregious where it's clearly violated if you just walk up to someone and shoot them or a situation like the George Floyd case where there is just no defense for it. Those are oftentimes the only cases where there is any justice available, even when it is so many other pieces of information that we learn that indicate that these officers were in the wrong and that the person that was victimized should get justice. They don't. And it is incumbent upon Congress, it is incumbent upon the Senate on the national level to do something to legislate qualified immunity out of the courthouses because it is disproportionately harming black and brown people that are plaintiffs in these lawsuits. The case of Melissa Johnson and her two underage daughters, what does it have to do with the rest of us? Anyone could be Melissa Johnson. It could be your children. It could be some other reason that the person who has authority doesn't view you as their equal, has animus towards you, has prejudice or bias against you, whether it's religious reasons, ethnicity, even your sex. So if you allow there to be a Melissa Johnson, if you allow there to be a Jamelia Barnett, if you allow there to be a Jalissa Dawkins, then you're leaving the opportunity for you to be victimized or somebody that you love to be victimized as well. So while it is not you in this moment, it very easily could be you tomorrow if we're not requiring the police to be held accountable when they deviate from the law. Same way that you would or I would be held accountable if we violated the law, 
and police officers should be no different. William Wagstaff, attorney for Miss Johnson and her daughters on a mission. Justice for Jamelia and Julissa. My thanks to him, to County Executive Mark Molinaro, and to you for joining us today. To watch the full Dutchess County Listening Town Hall for links to the case for justice for Jamelia and Julissa, visit my website, janosadams.com. Hashtag staying home for COVID-19, I'm Janos Adams. From the studios of WJFF Radio Catskill, post-production Jason Dole. This show is a production of Janos Adams, LLC, all rights reserved.